0: Hello and welcome to the Hello Darkness podcast. I'm your host, Esther Adelkoff. In this week's episode, I interview a dear friend of mine, Ruthie Mizrahi. We met in grad school at Brooklyn College. She is a licensed mental health counselor and is currently working on her postgrad certifications in prenatal mental health as well as Team CBT. She is so deep, insightful, smart, and talented, and I'm so excited to jump in. But before we do that, I just want to give a trigger warning. In this week's episode, we talk about suicidal ideation. If this is something that you or a loved one are struggling with, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1 800 273 8255. The Lifeline provides 24 7 free and confidential support for people in distress, as well as prevention and crisis resources. In addition, if at any time there is an emergency regarding suicide, you can always call 911. Without any further ado, I present the first episode of the Hello Darkness podcast. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't speak yet. Go. No, we could just go with it. Just go. Okay, welcome. Hi, Ruthie. Hey, Esther. Um, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being my first guest. It's a big deal. I'm so excited. It's like really feels like started from the bottom. Now we're here. Mm-hmm. I remember we were reminiscing of our practicum class. Yeah. The first semester. Feels like yesterday. Really? It's wild. Uh, and Yeah. So before we jump in, I just want to ask you to give a quick one-minute introduction, who you are, what do you do, how do you see your job as a therapist?
1: Sure, but before I jump into that, I want to say how flattered I am that you even thought of me, Um, especially even as your first guest, because I've always admired you, and I've always thought you had this inherent therapist quality, even in the beginning, beginning of grad school, and I'm like, how does she just know what to do, every teacher, you know, she's on the ball with everything. And it's called the years of therapy. I was in therapy also, so was I, but I still didn't have the, I can't even think of the word, but you were just a natural as a friend and watching you academically.
0: That was high praise.
1: Um, A bit about myself. So I went to graduate school with um, our amazing host at Brooklyn College. I, Went in to get my certification in play therapy, thinking that I wanted to work with kids with a trauma background. Um, kind of fell in and out of that. Worked in different outpatient clinics and private practice settings ever since. Kind of dabbling, what is it that I'm interested in? Um, what's my niche? What, you know, what kind of interventions do I think are gonna be effective? And it, it was really only until my personal experience with depression and OCD and crippling anxiety, not just kind of what you hear. Oh, I'm anxious. So oh. it was, um, that I understood my purpose as a therapist, um, what population, not that I want to work with that. I absolutely have to work with. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, cause I've told you so much, but becoming very depressed during my pregnancy and developing, horrible intrusive thoughts and grappling with how painful engaging your compulsions and ocd can really be and mm-hmm. all these terms are thrown around so la di da but when you really experience them so so to its core it is so painful um so walking out of that i once i got the help that i needed and got the proper medication i turned to psi that's postpartum support international and i started working towards that certification so i can work with mothers fathers women with who are pregnant women in the postpartum area of their life i recently took on a new job at the feeling good center of new york
0: um i'm so curious about that we're gonna jump into that yeah yeah, yeah. first of all i want to Thank you so much for your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, I know what's been going on for you. We're good friends. But to open up about it and to share, I think, is so fucking valuable. Mm -hmm. Because it's so real. It happens. It happens to so many people. And so many people are just so ashamed to talk about it. Yeah. And I think part of what our job is as therapists, we're like shame fighters. And the only way to fight shame is through connection, through being really brave and vulnerable and saying like, yeah, that happened to me, that happened to my mother, that happened to my yeah. sister.
1: And I think that's really awesome that you say that because I felt like my lack of shame, maybe I probably had <laughs> should have had more shame when I was pregnant, people would ask me how I'm feeling. I'm like, honestly, horrible. I'm having these intrusive thoughts, suicidal ideation i was so upfront about it even to you um that it actually became really empowering the second that i that i stopped shaming it this is what i'm going through i can't be the only one it's what am i going to do with what i'm going through as opposed to becoming a victim to it so you know we would go to weddings and people would ask oh you know how's your pregnancy I'm like it's god fucking awful like honestly and my husband would be like you can't lie you can't just say ah But I just couldn't. I wore it on my sleeve. It wasn't anything I was, you know.
0: I think that is part of, like, the gift of what makes you such a good therapist. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So where do you want to jump in? I'm so curious to hear about this work that you're doing in peripartum. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you that don't know, peripartum is the clinical term for before, during, and after pregnancy. It's more encompassing than just postpartum. Yeah. Do you want to... Tell me a little bit about how that's going, what the certification looks like. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I looked into Postpartum Support International, figuring out how I can get my certification. Um, It talks about mothers, partners who are experiencing mental health diagnoses. So you always hear postpartum depression, whether it be with Chrissy Teigen Mm -hmm. or Brooke Shields, but you don't really hear about it during your pregnancy. So having gone through that, I think the experience alone has given me more knowledge and understanding of other women out there than anything else.
0: Tell me more. What have you come to understand through this experience?
1: Um, OCD is really real. Intrusive thoughts are really real. Um, Feeling suicidal is really real. I remember calling you a bunch of times and saying, Esther, I... I feel like I don't want to live. Is that okay? You're like, yeah, of course it's okay. I'm
0: like, who the fuck wants to wake (laughs) up in the morning? (laughs) I'm like, it's cold outside. Like sometimes it's just a normal thought. Like I, like oh, if I was dead, I wouldn't have to deal with that. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times that has crossed through my mind. And like also patients all the time, they're like, oh, I'm a horrible person. I like want to die yeah I'm like you're a regular person
1: i i think that's such a huge and important disparity and i think i've learned that so much from you because i don't think before my pregnancy i ever grappled with i used to be freaked out if my you know my clients were suicidal um and then that one day just feeling like the lights had shut off in my brain and existing was impossible Ooh. Um, existing was impossible you know you know, I was um, written with tons of existential thoughts which was later classified as existential OCD um,
0: can you tell us a little bit more than that because I feel like people have such misconceptions about OCD we have the movie presentation of hand washing or oh my god I'm so OCD yeah I clean my room and it really is just such a different reality if you're living with it
1: absolutely I never thought that thoughts can be intrusive thoughts to me are something that you control if you want to have a thought about something then you will I never had it where it's not like I had a certain obsession about something tangible or an item or if something was at a place everything we were kind of taught in grad school to look out for as a clinician I just became obsessed with understanding our purpose Um, so for you know for listeners that um, don't know the distinction between OCD yeah it's pretty normal to you know have an existential crisis or, or think about the world and our purpose but I think I was thinking about it maybe ninety percent of my day. I mm-hmm. found myself engaging in all these compulsions, whether I joined groups online of mm-hmm. people who had similar stories than me, I was researching Descartes, all the I was calling all the rabbis in my community, I was engaging in such bizarre behavior. Well, um,
0: it's mm-hmm. I don't see it as bizarre. It makes a lot of sense. Like if your anxiety is about existence and your compulsion is to get rid of the anxiety. Yeah, yeah, Those are pretty adaptive ways to go about it.
1: It it got a little funkier. There were times where and and my thoughts, you know, I always I learned in my own personal treatment now with OCD that OCD is a very uh, greedy diagnosis. It just wants more and more and more. So if I came, well, to... the more you give in, the worse it gets. Absolutely. Anything that you
0: do to ameliorate your anxiety feeds it. Yeah. Like I have experienced something along that line when it comes to relationships like and like the more like there's a jealous type ocd where yeah. the more you like think like oh is this happening or you check a phone or anything like that it just feeds the monster which Absolutely. is so hard to, have to sit there and not feed the monster in any way, shape, or form. I think but, what's
1: hard in the beginning, you don't know it's a monster. Yeah. It feels so real. Yeah. They're intrusive. And again, at that time, you're taught all your thoughts are yours. If you're having the thought, you must really be thinking it. So I was having, what if I didn't exist? That was a really big one. What if I was living in a dream? So my compulsion at the time was to pinch myself or not hurt mm. myself in any self harm way, but like, Tap my head really hard. Pinch my skin. And it still wasn't enough. I'd do it every Mm. single day. Um, I'd bump into people on the street. Nothing aggressively. But oh okay. I must exist if that person just turned around. So Mm. it was. As my pregnancy
0: progressed. It was getting wackier and wackier. Um, I think pregnancy is such a complex hormonal state. And it makes sense that. Our brains, our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and moods would be affected by like this wild hormonal change that happens in the body.
1: So it's interesting what I learned from PSI. The science usually says that your hormones actually come to a baseline, and that's why people really have very positive pregnancies, and then are very surprised mm-hmm. when they experience postpartum. So I sort of got the opposite. So it was
0: like. The opposite. And I
1: wasn't expecting it. No one spoke about being depressed in their pregnancy. Yeah,
0: I feel like the picture that we all have in our heads is, like, being, like, in a flowy white dress in a field of flowers surrounded by deer, basically. Absolutely. Like a Disney movie. You're not expecting to just, like, be like, holy fuck, am I alive?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, people would say, oh, are you having aversions to food? I'm like, no, I cannot fucking eat a thing because I'm so depressed. I wasn't having cravings. I wasn't... And, and I think a lot of my family, and I think even my friends to a point, didn't understand the severity of what I was experiencing. Oh, it's the baby blues. Oh, you're hormonal. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, it
0: must have been really painful.
1: It really, really, really was. I, You know, being in school together, we had just graduated. I was excited to get pregnant. It almost felt like the carpet was just ripped. Oof. You rela- <laughs> Can you relate to that feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. One day I had it all and I understood my world and the next day I just hated it I was at the bottom of everything whether it be my marriage my sense of self I didn't want to be a mom I was kind of praying that I would miscarry um
0: there's so much pain
1: beyond yeah
0: so much pain I can't help but just being like wow how the hell did you work through this I
1: don't know and I was that like? like It was literally I never internalized the, the you know the saying, "Take it day by day, moment by moment." that really meant absolutely garbage to me um, until you're really in a state where that is all that you have. Um, it's funny, I was actually just telling my therapist, um,
0: PS, every therapist see therapist. <laughs> <laughs> someone had told <laughs> my mom might need it the most. <laughs> <laughs>
1: someone had told my mom how is your daughter seeing a therapist don't you feel like she's not in a position to give therapy if she's not
0: oh my gosh and
1: it's i like a dude ouch yeah but I think it's so the opposite if you can't be in the client's position there's no way you can never understand the process it's selling a product you've never tried yeah
0: so. I mean I think the only way to be a good therapist is to be willing to go there yourself like how can you create a space for your patients to be vulnerable if you think seeking therapy makes you weak? Yeah. You need to check your own biases. What do I think about people that seek therapy? What do I think about people that take medication? Yeah. What do I think about certain diagnoses? Do I have biases around this? No, absolutely. And how is that affecting my work?
1: But I think that comes out when you see therapists. They're like, oh, no, I don't I need to go to therapy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I <laughs> have it all
0: figured out. <laughs>
1: And and I think that was the problem with me. I think before I'd gotten pregnant, I think I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I had my jobs, I was getting pregnant, I was working with clients, I knew CBT, I knew all these theoretical orientations from a very academic perspective. I'm not saying that I never struggled before, but I think it was all, you know, I was the biggest school nerd.
0: You were so intimidating, holy shit. But you I you think like it had- was... All- <laughs> I have ever studying with you, and I'd be like, how does this girl do it? You would, like,
1: But you'd still get higher grades than I would.
0: That, that was the reality. But <laughs> so you would, like, have everything memorized. I was like, how do you do it?
1: I think it was my anxiety and my need for control. It was a perfect place. I think I had OCD my whole life. but It was a perfect place to kind of, you know, sneak it in there. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's socially acceptable ways yeah. to self-harm like dieting or, or smoking or Drinking, procrastinating right? or overworking and I think there's also socially acceptable ways to be obsessive or compulsive and it's reinforced wow you're so organized wow you're so on top of your shit I think wow, I heard that a lot so hard and it feels good and all of a sudden you're like this doesn't feel good anymore I'm getting all this praise but I feel so empty yeah
1: yeah no absolutely and um I think I was working in a clinic, I thought I was okay, and I thought I knew what I was doing up until, I'm forgetting your previous question, but up until I really, I I don't think I've ever hit rock bottom like that. Um, And I think it totally transformed my therapeutic abilities, my ability to sit with pain. You know, your knee jerk reaction is to, oh, I, I wanna fix what this person is feeling right now um but that's the last thing i wanted. i want i wanted someone to kind of like hold me but you know therapeutically yeah. and just hold me in the setting right now and
0: to witness yeah without saying this is horrible. i need to get rid of this right away. Yeah. Like this is happening.
1: And i yeah i think that was terribly scary for me to be like i'm really going through a lot of shit right now. And i i didn't have any you know plans or Um, Intent, to, you know, so it was just like, what if I wasn't here? I wouldn't have to deal with anything. And then, you know, my brain obviously jumped on the bandwagon and created an obsessive, um, which I still, you know, deal with today. It's called self-harm, not self-harm OCD, it's suicide OCD. What if I just decide to commit suicide and, and leave my daughter? And these thoughts, you think they kind of go away past the postpartum stage. And I went on medication well into my pregnancy, which... For me, I'm a huge advocate on letting people know that it is okay to take medication during pregnancy.
0: I think we just need to repeat that because there's so much shame around crazy. medication and pregnancy. Like all of a sudden when you're pregnant, there's this halo and it's not just you you're thinking about, it's the baby. But how the hell is your baby gonna be okay if you're suffering every single day throughout your pregnancy and there's help available?
1: Like someone, <laughs> I grabbed a hot dog and hit my hand. You, you can't have, a, you know, can't have deli meats while you're pregnant. And then lo and behold, the next month I'm on clonopin and Zolo. <laughs> so, it, Um I think it's a huge message. I was in terrible pain. I don't know if you remember the time I wasn't sleeping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was up all hours of the night. And then I had to go to work the next day. Um, and I kept trying to have this martyr... I'm going to pull through for my daughter, I'm going to be, you know, this strong person who doesn't take medication and sucks it up and I'm like, you know, Rudy, you're being really fucking weak actually right now, you need a medication and, you know, people ask me even now, oh, you know, why are you still on it? I said, I don't, I don't know if it's a placebo effect or if it's still helping me have the most amazing postpartum experience.
0: I feel my, like, blood boiling as we talk about this because why would anyone tell someone who's, like, on medication for, like, high blood pressure to not take it? I think because they
1: assumed it was very much attached to hormonal changes in my body and... But for me, yeah, if it, if it was, if it wasn't, whatever I'm doing now is, you know, I follow Motherhood Understood. It's a an account on Instagram that I highly recommend.
0: I'll check it out.
1: It's, it's beyond amazing. It's so authentic. And they talk about, you know, medicated moms. And to me, it doesn't matter how I get to be there for my daughter. If I'm present and I'm happy to see her every morning, I don't give a shit what I'm taking or what. It's, you know.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important space to explore our own biases around medication like i would encourage any patient that is struggling and is coming to therapy week after week and isn't seeing the results that they want yeah. they're still suffering to explore medication and it's something that i would explore myself and i have explored myself it's such a powerful tool sometimes it's training wheels that creates a space for you to learn a new skill and yeah. sometimes this is what you need in order to function. If you, why would you inhibit your functioning? And like, yes, there is shame and there is pain and there is cultural norms that, especially in the Jewish community, need to be broken down. But I think it's only a disservice when we hide all this.
1: Absolutely, and it's crazy because I had made a post on Instagram and there's still so many people who reached out but still weren't public about it themselves. So. There, it just it's you can be so vocal about something, but people are still ah okay, but don't don't mention me, yeah. you know, don't mention that I reached out or
0: everyone's on their own journey when it comes to shame. Yeah, just because you're somewhere doesn't mean other people are there. I remember I used to work like right in the heart of Crown Heights, on like in the middle of the whole village, let's say, and people would ask me why don't you have a sign. And I didn't think it was fair to put a sign, because my patients weren't there yet yeah. to say, "Hey, I go to therapy once a week. Yeah. I'm ducking into this building. That's where I'm at." Just because I think therapy should be destigmatized, sure. medication should be destigmatized. I think people are where they're at in this journey. Yeah,
1: I think I think especially being Jewish and being in a tight knit community, it's let's put put on you know our rose colored glasses and again kind of this is what pregnancy looks like the, yeah. you know these are the stores that you get baby clothes from and um it's just crazy how many people truly suffer um and don't say anything and i've spoken to so many people who it took them about a year and a half to realize that they were dealing with postpartum depression yeah. they suffered for a whole year got a medication it takes six to eight weeks for medication to kick in and they can't remember the first year of their their kid's life so, so painful yeah and I, I kind of am grateful that I experienced everything I had to or whatever um, during the pregnancy because the second my daughter came and it just she is so cute she's my little Klonopin baby I call what? her my little special kid. I
0: love that <laughs>
1: Amazing. <laughs> Every time I bring her to my psychiatrist, I'm like, "We need to publish this study because there aren't a lot of." <laughs> That's amazing. We can't get any pregnant people to do the study, no but. Special K. <laughs> but She's amazing, and she's healthy, so and she's beautiful, and she crazy. is crazy. So beautiful,
0: sweet baby angel. So sweet
1: baby angels,
0: little. But um, I want to ask you how you touched on it before, but I want to hear yeah. more because I'm so fascinated how these experiences have informed your practice as a therapist?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think when I first started out, if I heard the word suicide, I, my body crumbled down into dust. I would panic probably more than the client. Um, I think I was actually told that I was making a client anxious, um, which is not not at all what you wanna do, but to know that pain's okay, I don't think I knew that. And I think you really helped me with that. I'm not just saying that because I'm on this podcast. But I reached out to you quite a bit. Um, and you came to visit me. And yeah. that day I thought we were in a dream. So, but, but you're just like, all right, so what if we're in this dream? We're in it together, which was so
0: awesome. Yeah. I feel like that's where psychedelics come in, where <laughs> you're like, kind of okay with that everything could be fake, you know? Yeah.
1: But you weren't like we were sitting on my porch and it was lovely. I yeah, remember
0: that.
1: I remember you. I think you were going to meet Akiva that day, right?
0: Um, I yeah,
1: I was coming. You were wearing like a beautiful black dress. You had your hair blown. Ooh la la. Yeah, <laughs> like I remember everything about that time to the T. It's yeah.
0: Yeah, I think first of all, that's like exactly why I chose the name Hello Darkness for this yeah. podcast because it's here you know pain life is painful life is suffering no one goes through life unscathed
1: right so i don't i and i back to your question i don't i don't think i really knew that knew that i knew that was you know um again everything felt theoretical and academic and you know i was there was a distance between me and the things i would say to clients but
0: i'm curious what drew you to therapy and becoming a therapist to begin with initially yeah. Because it seems like this is like a a renaissance for you. I
1: know. It just, it it felt in boring, almost like I didn't have a choice. Like this is, this is clearly what I was going to go into. Um, Started out typically, oh, you know, you're the person that people seek advice from. Mm. And going to therapy, I struggled a lot with now in hindsight, looking back, which was 100% OCD. Whether it be around schoolwork or if my friends were mad at me, I would not be able. Mm-hmm. I'd have dreams. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I I remember in fourth grade, I'd count on my fingers how many people were mad at me. And if. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like a yeah. A little baby room. Yeah. A little baby. Hugs.
1: Yeah. And um, I just being in the room with my therapist, I was so blown away how she was able i didn't even know she was sneaking in her interventions and it felt so organic and i left feeling so much better Mm. i'm like this is such a cool unique space to be myself say anything have it reflected back to me but have the way i think about things shift or think about certain things in my upbringing differently um I think I just started seeing therapy as an art, as like improv, you know?
0: It very much is. Yeah. There's no science. <laughs> right? Well, there's a little science, they I say. Idea. Yeah, but. <laughs> it's he, like there's science, science, but when you're in the room with a patient. Out the door. You can't just be like, how do you feel about that? Yeah. It's not very a... much like what's coming up in the moment.
1: Yeah, right. There's no time to prepare the night before or, you know. There's
0: no rehearsals.
1: No, not at all. Um, and I like that you can put your own spin on it. And I thought, what greater of a profession than, not necessarily helping people, that's a huge part of it, but working with people on such an intimate level from all walks of life, they walk in and out of your door. I remember at an old practice I had, I had one actress and one person who was modeling for, and I'm like, I, I feel like I'm a part of everyone's world. And it,
0: it's such an honor it's, and yeah. much to get a window and that people trust. I'm always blown away by how brave it is to sit down on the couch every time.
1: I know, especially in this room you have here. It's very intimidating. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Green velvet. I feel like I'm about to, like, I'm in the game of clue. It's like, <laughs>
0: right? So it's My not little... inviting, is that what you're saying? No, it's
1: definitely inviting, but you know you're going to do some real work in there. Yeah,
0: coming in here to work. It's like, no <laughs> shit at <laughs> all see I had Freudian slippers there? No, I didn't. Alright, so you, you put a little
1: humor. I'm a
0: little, I'm, I'm a funny therapist. <laughs> <laughs> but I
1: feel like when you practice therapy, do you, because to me you're hilarious, do you put any, like, do you find that you're using who you are as an individual? Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. I think let's say I'm a little bit more boundaried. Um, I'm a little bit like, me, I'm an open book. I have no yeah. problem telling anyone anything. That's not helping my patients. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, like, filtering through the lens of, is this helping my patient? Yeah. But, yeah, I think you are who you are. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. It's true. And, yeah. So it definitely comes out. Yeah. And I think that's very much speaks to your experience, how this whole... Exploration of your mind and your existential yeah whatever the OCD has informed your practice. Every experience that you have, you take in with you.
1: My mom always says it's not what happens. It it doesn't. Things don't happen to us. It happens for us. That always stuck with me. You know, every day I remember, I felt like I was underwater every single day, and it was a little thing that I would like. Okay, You know, when I had little moments of feeling okay, um, kind of, you know, dream or say, okay, when I feel better, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get my certification. I want to bring this to my community, Mm -hmm. which I tried to. It wasn't all that successful, but... um, Life is long. What? Life is long. God willing, but... (laughs) (laughs) You're
0: like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're not helping my own...
1: But I couldn't even see the word life. Like, I'll never forget, I was walking to the clinic I worked at, and there was a suitcase in the window, you know, very casually. Life's a party. And I remember panicking. And it's just, the last 25 years of my life, I felt total, And all of a sudden, it just, a lot of humility there. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, That feeling of, like, what does it mean to have your shit together? Yeah. Clinging to that. I think sometimes we we cling to the idea that we have it all figured out as to fight against the shame that we all experience. I'm yeah. not good enough. If anyone would find this out about me, I would be unworthy of love. So we protect ourselves against shame through perfectionism. Yeah. And when... The veneer of perfectionism shatters because it always does because no one's perfect we have to explore the shadow that's underneath there and
1: i think we also do it from an obs- like, you know per looking at other people so even now i just fell into the trap i walked in here beautiful practice like esther you really have your shit together with your little you know ysl classes mm-hmm. i'm here with probably you vomit or something on my shirt with um and i'm looking I'm like oh you have it all together and then i caught myself i'm like I know, Esther, I know you struggle. I know everyone does. But I think it's easy for our brains to make little boxes around everybody.
0: Yeah, I think, first of all, we project our ideas of perfectionism and also shame onto people. Like If someone does something shitty, we enjoy talking about it and gossiping about it because we get to explore it in a way that's not attached to ourselves. Yeah, it's and safer. It, yeah, and then we kind of want perfectionism to exist, so we seek it out. Oh, this celebrity is perfect. This friend has it together. So we can like shame ourselves into the cycle, Yeah, which is crazy.
1: And I think, even thinking of my compulsions, I think I tried so hard to find the box that fit my question, which even at the time, or even now, if God were to come down himself and tell me, yo, this is the purpose of life. I'm like, uh, I, I still don't, I'm not sure. Um, and I think embracing uncertainty, and that's become a hallmark of so much of the, the work that I do with my clients.
0: Tell me more. What does that mean to you when you say that embracing uncertainty?
1: I think, I was a big control freak. I think I, I, I would do papers. You know, I would get the syllabus from college and see, yeah, Esther's <laughs> I'm rolling
0: my eyes so <laughs> i am a last minute asking for extension yeah probably not getting it done ever kind of person
1: note to self you would still do better so for me it wasn't quality it was quantity i had to invest because if i invest all this time i then i probably will do well
0: so it was like a formula like i have to control outcome so what can i what is in my control that i can do to control the outcome
1: right even for what was that test that we had oh the comp please tell me how long i studied for that test
0: Forever.
1: No, maybe, like, m- like months, five months. Months. And I think what you said, we both.
0: Yeah. No, I, I studied diligently. I was terrified. But there's a different, re- we just had a different relationship. like.
1: But mine was noticeably unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And I think, like, I think it's funny how I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. Like, because we all have our own stuff going on. Yeah. I felt like, oh, something's wrong with me. I'm not studying. Mm-hmm. Because that's what perfectionism does. When we, like, all engage in the perfectionism Olympics, it's, like, hard to be like, oh, like, that's crazy. That's not a normal standard. Because we're constantly, like, raising the standard.
1: Yeah. Like, who sets the standard? It's so subjective.
0: Yeah. If you can't, like, look within, like, what's, what do I think? How do I want to go about this? Where are right. my values? And I probably,
1: I probably remember looking at you and saying, why don't I just get it quickly like Esther? Why can't I like, enjoy my days, go out, party? All
0: suffering from anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean,
1: I probably didn't know that yeah. at all. That's um, not the way you presented. Um, but So I think everything in my life I try to predict, are people going to be mad at me? How can yeah. I make sure to prevent that? Let me apologize until I'm blue in the face because that's the only way I know. That it's a cross. People would say, Ruthie, you're apologizing so much, you're making me more mad. <laughs> like, um, Uncertainty was everywhere and I don't think I even knew it until I was hit with the most uncertain thought in the world. Um, it's probably why my brain kind of ran there, but...
0: It was like screaming. It's like, you need to get... You need, you to, need to be okay with yeah. uncertainty because... Especially as you're about to have a kid. Having yeah. a kid is so uncertain. Yeah, they're just like a little baby alien that like pops out of you and like you have no control over. You know what? It's funny. I think I was so distracted in my pregnancy with,
1: you know, my dad. Thank God he's okay, but he had a cancer scare, um, which Mm. shook my world. Yeah, thank you. No, but he he's thank God he's totally totally fine. And I remember hearing that, and it was also around the time that um Dr. Hunter's, what was his name? Her husband was brutally murdered out of nowhere. And so life and death just...
0: Yeah, these things really trigger our tolerance like or lack thereof tolerance for how fleeting life can be. Yeah. And
1: I I knew I was reacting weirdly. I would stay up all night researching, researching, looking at her husband, what had happened, what.
0: And that's the compulsion. Oh, my gosh.
1: Again, I had no idea. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to know that compulsions aren't just hand washing. It could be researching, snooping,
1: anything that makes you feel better.
0: Yeah, or even like trying to like logically talk to your OCD like Well, is, I think yeah, it's a big compulsion. Yeah, it's a big compulsion like, "Oh, this is why I know I'm alive," yeah. and then running through that list. That's a compulsion, and it reinforces the OCD, and it's so important to not take a analytical or explorative yeah. stance when it comes to OCD you can't you can't and it's so important to have a therapist that knows what they're doing to have the exposure with response prevention which yeah. means yes life is uncertain and we're not going to try to protect ourselves against yeah. that we're going to lean into it which is the scariest thing to do
1: and i think exposure with response prevention it exposing you to this thought without letting you kind of run away it it really does retrain the brain to say oh i've heard this before i've seen this it's not as scary your brain learns to not run away from it like it did the first time so Sometimes even it's
0: protecting ourselves hurts ourselves oh which, my is, God. which is a theme i think in so many areas of life yeah like if you walk into a relationship try to protect yourself being defensive not connecting it ends up hurting
1: yeah and it's I which I never knew about OCD is whatever you're obsessing about is truly what you care about I didn't know that I thought if it's intrusive it's unwanted like stay away from me you're trying to bring me down and then I'm like let me you know let me hear what this thought is trying to tell me things it's trying to protect me it's whether it be evolutionary or adaptive at the time it it does think that it's trying to protect me you know I wouldn't and I think it's important to note with especially you know what i've studied in with women who are pregnant if you're having an intrusive thought and you have an anxious response to it then you know it's ocd if you resonate with that thought
0: Mm, such a good distinction
1: yeah it's really important to note because it can teeter between ocd or psychosis yeah um and i thought i was going psychotic but my visceral uncomfortability and anxiety and insomnia. How
0: did you experience that anxiety? Like what were your symptoms? People that don't know.
1: Yeah, I again I've had anxiety my whole life. I I thought it affected me, but again not until the year of 2018. Um I did not sleep. I, I I kid you not, I would get into bed. Okay, I'm really gonna try, and my eyes would be wide open it's and i'd watch my thing. husband how cold
0: don't you hate it when you're sleeping and you're or when you're trying to sleep in your partner it looks like an advertisement for sleep I, <laughs> sleeping away like it's just a regular thing and you're just can't. the
1: envy i had i know um,
0: you have to wake your partner up that's what i do so that
1: that was a bit of a you know it actually really i don't even know how much you know my marriage was almost falling apart um you know, I don't want to go into so much of salt stuff, but he was definitely going through his own peripartum depression, yeah. which is also incredibly common. I didn't know men experience postpartum, and there, I was I was um, reading and some of the studies they gave out, but their bodies actually almost go through the same thing that yours does.
0: Tell me more. I'm so curious. About yeah, that. it's so
1: fascinating to me. Um, it typically happens when their partners are depressed. It's kind of. Um, I keep thinking of the word sympathy pains, but it's not. They end up truly adopting what it is. Like, you know, for my husband, he was going through an existential crisis himself, becoming a dad. What does that look like?
0: For those of you that don't know, Ruthie is married to a therapist.
1: I am married to... Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, Ruthie is a therapist that is married to a therapist. Yes, Power yes. couple. Power couple, not at all.
1: Um And men... Hormonally and physiologically, their bodies do endure the same things that women do, but there's their symptoms are so different. It includes risky behavior, anger. Um, like they gave examples of like men gambling a lot. It's they're depressed, but it's being showed in a very, very different way. I
0: feel like men, heterosexual men, in like rigid communities, don't have a lot of ways to express. You think yeah, they externalize it more? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think sadness turns into anger because mm-hmm. it's more acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like compulsion is like letting off the steam that's like building inside of you of like the existential dread and panic. Yeah, you could just lean into it and gamble. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, but you, you could tell he was lost. Um, so I forgot what part of the question I'm addressing. Same. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, you asked me what my anxiety looked like, and yeah, then I yeah, said yeah. my marriage. Yeah, um, did not sleep at all. Yeah. Just watched Seinfeld on repeat until five in the morning. I started hearing birds chirping, even till this day when I hear, you know that sweet, like, oh, yeah. Fuck, I did not. And I was still working. I was going to work every single day, seeing clients, and I felt like such an imposter because I'm like, you have no idea that last night I was up all night with intrusive suicidal thoughts intrusive and i'm sitting here collected i'm not even sure if my client exists That's what's going Mm, through my brain mm. it was horrifying didn't sleep um i gave me a good time to you know talk to my friends in israel because we were on the same (laughs) (laughs) um shaking i would literally like my husband had to hold my hands down um yeah so Sol had to start my husband had to start sleeping on the couch because mm-hmm. he would wake up for me tossing turning tossing turning I would listen to meditation music I was doing apps I was things I would never ever do yeah.
0: um, I think it's so humbling to experience it because insomnia is surreal. part of uh, the diagnosis of anxiety depression a lot of other stuff and unless you've experienced it you're like oh just like have a bedtime tea. Have, have a some routine. CD, sleep hygiene. I tried it until you like experience the crushing and crippling weight of laying there with your eyes open, thoughts racing, heart racing, not being able to sleep.
1: I'm getting a little triggered right now. I haven't thought about that aspect of my pregnancy. There was days I wasn't sleeping. Days. And my thoughts were running and running, and I'm like, "How do I still have the mental energy? I was really scared to. I, I did lose my mind. Um, so I like I I just like remembered a smell that just became a taste right yeah. now, and I was just ridden with thoughts about death and life. Which and all I could do is talk to the people around me about it. Um, just not sleeping, like not needing to sleep, yeah. but being beyond exhausted yeah. but you're right like I would throw around oh you know insomnia I can't sleep but when you really struggle with it it there is it's so painful except clonopin clonopin yeah. the first the first time I tried to get on it I had a restful sleep
0: special K special K babes yeah yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, what would you want to say to people that have struggled with something similar?
1: I don't even know so much. Um, It's okay to not be okay. I never believed that.
0: Um, You're like, it's okay to not be okay, but I need to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I have to reassure
1: myself that I'll still be okay. Um,
0: You need to be like, I might not be
1: okay. And that's, you know, even God willing, if I ever want to get pregnant again, I no idea what that'll look like and it's kind of um, embracing that uncertainty but it's okay to not be okay not every thought is real just because you come up with it it's not yours if it doesn't feel like it's yours it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm.
0: Um, you can't see but I'm like nodding yeah along furiously.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember reading Eckhart Tolle's the uh, I read it a million times the power of now mm-hmm. and his first chapter is you are not your brain or you are not your thoughts I'm like really like I'm not mm-hmm. um,
0: and we're so identified uh, yeah with our thoughts but there's a there's something within us there's the observer of the thoughts
1: and I think sometimes that's the pitfall of CBT you know cognitive behavioral therapy that every thought that you might have um you know gets picked apart and looked at and my first therapist when I was pregnant was doing that. And I'm like, ah, wait, I don't want you touching any of these thoughts because I know they're wasteful thoughts. Yeah,
0: you're like, I don't even believe these thoughts. I don't believe
1: them. Why are we even trying to, you know, whatever yeah. with them.
0: I want to hear, speaking of CBT. Yeah. Wait, first, I'm like jumping around. Oh, because I'm, I'm so excited. I feel I'm, like, like I'm I love everything here. I'm like, yes. Really,
1: I feel like I'm blowing this. No, like, like, <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah, okay. Everything here is amazing. It's okay, so I'm
1: happy, great. I'm happy.
0: Um, so, okay. you're saying something. Things that you would want to say someone's going through this. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. You are not your thoughts.
1: Um, embrace what you're going through because it could be your biggest superpower it's huge yes, I, and you know me i'm the most self-deprecating yes. jew in the entire world i think we both
0: are. <laughs> i don't know where you get it from because you're like not ashkenazi
1: I, is it is it an ashkenazi <laughs> I feel like thing i like it's
0: like woody allen yeah Larry
1: david right like, right right you know i just feel like before someone's gonna say something about me let me just kind of beat them to the chase let yeah, I me mean, beat
0: them to the punch let me just and
1: maybe that's my own personal defense um you know, like if I see my grandmother and I know she'll come into my weight, I'm like, I know grandma, I know I got fat, like whatever, you know? Um, but make your insecurities your biggest friend. That's what you're struggling with. If you let it out into the world and say like, here it is, this is, this is what it is. And I'm, you know, it's so empowering. And I wish, I wish I had someone to speak to way back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I love that like your struggle is your superpower it really is I always say that to patients that are struggling with codependency or anxiety yeah cuz like codependency makes you like such an attuned friend lover so deeply empathic and it can like get in the way of you having an like, authentic relationship that's the kryptonite side but when it's your superpower it's your superpower yeah. and, like anxiety might cripple you but it also might make you so detail-oriented, so focused. Yeah. It's so
1: funny you say that because I guess we can get into the, the the job that I have and what Team CBT is, but a big thing that they do is positive reframing. It's okay. You're telling me you have social anxiety or OCD. Tell me what's good. Why, you know, what what's the purpose of... Um, you know, let's say codependency. Your codependency, again, makes you more attentive to relationships. And what what's the good qualities out of it? Why are you holding so on to important, it? because
0: I feel like people, they come into therapy. They're like, I'm here. I don't want to be here. I'm only here because something's wrong with me. Yeah. Someone told me I have to come here. Yeah. And it's like, well, what's right with you? Yeah. There's so much that's right with you. You're a human being. I don't know if you believe in God, but like you're a child of God. You yeah. literally have a soul in you. Yeah. You are alive you, people
1: don't see that as inherent worth it's so it's so hard
0: yeah so you started saying about team CBT. i'm all over
1: the place are you sure i'm not yeah. over? because i can't hear myself I
0: you're doing like. fantastic really Yes. Okay. I, I don't want to ruin this for you you're doing amazing thank you and i'm not going to reassure you okay ah <laughs> i love that um,
1: this is why you're such a good therapist like you just so good, I'm doing a little bit so good. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Um, tell me about Team CBT.
1: Yes, I'm starting a job at the Feeling Good Center
0: of New York. I Love the name. Yeah, Feeling
1: Good. I don't know if you ever heard of the book Feeling Good Together by David mm-hmm. Burns. Okay, so yeah. he started what's considered team. Um, it's not literal team, it's just the acronym. What it's,
0: is the acronym? Yes,
1: I'm learning it all myself for the first time. So it's they want to make sure that everything is evidence based. You want to make sure that the therapy like
0: that's anxiety yes playing out
1: maybe but
0: like fear of shame
1: you're saying on from the client's perspective no, i'm saying
0: from like their perspective that everything has to be evidence-based
1: i think what the, their goal is sometimes a therapist's ego can get in the way and you're like oh my god i just did a great intervention and my client loved it and but the client can really go away like, oh, all right. But yes, yeah. I, So I think that's the purpose of it. They, so you do testings. You do um, a mood survey before and after session. And they have, a, I think it's called, I forgot exactly what the name of the form is. They have to write how they felt about their therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, which to Pete, you know, it, it sounds incredibly intimidating. I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome. I never know what my clients are really thinking. Was I empathic? Was I listening? Where did I falter? Mm-hmm. I mean it really all becomes about the client and your ego, like check it at the door. Like it's not about That is incredible. It's that pretty is, cool. Yeah. So it
0: it does That's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> like, I I sold you a bit. I told you. I feel like yeah, 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 okay. join like... <laughs> the cult. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so it's testing empathy, agenda setting. And methods so empathy he writes you know um uh he has like a bunch of different um ways that you can empathize with someone so you know like what's different ways by disarming them finding truth in something they're saying mm-hmm. instead of attacking what they're saying mm-hmm. stroking them validating it's called the five secrets of empathy i believe he has a he has a bunch of podcasts if anyone wants to check it out um where can they find them Uh, yeah, I think just David Burns feeling good, Mm -hmm. you know, just type it in into your podcast app. Um, and then assessing for resistance, you know, and I think this is a huge thing because I'm definitely guilty of wanting to change my client before they're ready to change. Yeah, It's such, like you see something in them and you're like, just, and they're not ready.
0: Yeah. And
1: you're pushing for your own.
0: Yeah. You want to see the results. You want to see it. For your own ego also because you see their suffering of course you see your you see your patient suffering and you're like wouldn't it be cool if you didn't do that but like they're not there yet and it's so hard
1: yeah and and the way david burns describes it on his podcast is that you're you're trying to push a product on them that they're not really ready to buy yet maybe they will um and you kind of sit with that resistance you know and resistance can appear in so many ways it's you know think people misconstrued it to be oh i don't want to change or i don't getting stuck in the same thought cycles you know not completing assignments or tests that you you know i um, am I'm, I'm sure you know you've worked with an array of different people um and kind of acknowledging you know that resistance and saying hey if you don't want to touch this and maybe we shouldn't as opposed yeah. to pushing through and i find myself okay but let, let's talk more about uh, whatever let's say someone has an eating disorder but that's kind of an aside we're not focusing on that me uh, you know all my therapist, you know instincts i'm like oh but I, you know the eating disorder i want to connect it to you whatever it might
0: be yeah if they're not willing to go there that has a to be it to the patient to go there that
1: has to be it yeah so that's so it's kind of framed in that way and it's really so client-oriented, and I think that's what really made me gravitate towards it. Because I, I think sometimes in this profession, you know, sometimes my husband and I will come home. and like, yeah, I, I did this great, like this great intervention. I think you should try. And and sometimes you kind of get lost in it. And it's kind of exciting for a, a therapist when they
0: when you have a breakthrough moment. You have a
1: breakthrough, or you put something together, and.
0: I find that often with patients, like, my breakthrough moments that I think are breakthrough moments are not their breakthrough moments. Yeah, like, you get overly excited in there. I remember, like, very early on, a patient of mine, like, I was like, what was the most impactful thing that we did together? I was terminating with them because I was leaving that clinic, and I thought it was, like, the time that we, like, unpacked her trauma. We did, like, fancy chair exercises where she spoke to someone who had hurt her. And she's like, oh, like when you lowered the fee for me because I lost my job. Wow. And it wasn't a question and there was no shame and you were just so down to do that. Yeah. And that was so powerful because I think there's a real relationship in the room and you can get caught up in all the theory and all the exciting... But you just did what you naturally do as a person. So it's kind of getting late. I'm having so much fun. I know. I feel like we can go on forever. Yeah. But. I feel like, was this boring? See, this is. Woke. No. Okay. I'm not even saying no. This is <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying here. I want to ask a few closing questions. Yes. Um, so what do you think is something that people really misunderstand about therapy that if you can clarify, you'd like to? that there's something wrong with you.
1: I think mm-hmm. it's indicative that there's something really right with you. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're willing to take that insight and go look at yourself really you know, in the mirror and try to correct the way that you're living or the way you're treating others. Um, there's no stigma in taking medication. Kind of like you said earlier, mm-hmm. if you had a heart problem or a liver or whatever, you'd run to take medication and sometimes your brain needs that to be open and susceptible to other interventions or to the therapeutic process. Mm. Um, And it's just a great, cool space um, that I think everyone, you know, it's kind of like taking your weight once in a while. It's like checking in, kind of,
0: you know. Noticing what's coming up. Yeah. And I guess we went through this question, but... Tell me about an experience that changed your practice. I feel like this whole podcast is about that. It you was. have to boil it down to a few words.
1: I would really say feeling suicidal myself. That's something I thought can never happen to me. Why would I feel suicidal? I have my health, I have I truth, I could be more comfortable, but there's no reason why I would ever. And nothing really has to happen for you. Sometimes you'd feel suicidal, which was terrifying to me. It doesn't discriminate. And the more I opened up, you're like, yeah, oh, Ruthie, like, I, like I feel it every day. Like, I think
0: yeah, every day. I remember once in supervision, I was freaking out about a client that was suicidal. And I, like, just started mm-hmm. my internship before mm-hmm. I even graduated. And my supervisor was like, um, you never don't want to wake up. He's like, you're lying if you say Who that. Who was your supervisor? Um, Aryeh of?: Oh, no. Oh, at, at, the, O-Hill. The, at O'Hill. Yeah. And I think like that's exactly what it means to like embrace the shadow, to say, hello, darkness. Like, yes.
1: And I, I really learned that from you. I, I think I remember you were like out with your friends. I felt so bad. I was bothering you so much that weekend. You were having tons of fun, and I was... <laughs>
0: <laughs> wild assumption yeah
1: I'm joking <laughs> no you were you were, sh- you were struggling <laughs> with something else we were going back and forth and I was like quivering I'm like Esther I- is it okay they
0: don't have like
1: Ruthie, I think about this every day and you're like are you gonna do something I'm like no and You're like, okay yeah so roll
0: with it. let it let it be yeah let it be there <laughs> Um, thank you so much
1: thank you for coming on
0: the pod this I, I my love first the title
1: guest. I'm so honored because I feel like you probably have so many other uh, more inspirational people, honestly, um, to speak on this
0: podcast. But I do appreciate you thinking of me. I have so much respect for your story, for you as a clinician, and it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on today. And thank you so much for your candidness and vulnerability. Yeah, It's a big deal.
1: Yeah. And again, I love the title. I think it's...
0: Just saying it is like hello darkness. They seem oxymoronic. It's, I love it. Let's embrace it.